On occasion, I enjoy competitive races. Maybe you do as well. Uh, I'm talking 5K or 10K, even a half marathon I've been crazy enough to do. Um, But if you've ever taken part in a competitive race, you've probably been involved in going the day before to receive your pre-race packet. So this is either the day before or the day of the race. You go in and you receive a few things, right? Uh, You get your race t-shirt, right? To make sure that you're ready for your race, right? So everybody knows that you've run this race. Uh, You get something else. You get uh, your running bib or your number to differentiate who you are on the track, right? You get usually some type of electronic tracking device that shows exactly when you begin and end the race. Now, uh, to this day, I have never, ever, ever, ever received a finisher's medal at the pre-race packet, right? (laughs) Now, for those of you who have never run a race, and maybe you have made the proclamation that you will never run a race in your life, you probably can guess you don't get a finisher's medal until after you cross, help me out, the finish line, of course. And what we see in our passage today is the Apostle Paul, he uses finish line language. He's writing to the church gathered together in the city of Philippi. About 10 years before he wrote this letter, he came through the city and he helped establish the church. But then he left, right? And now he's writing back to this church to encourage them in the faith. It's around the year 60 AD. And um, he uses this image of a runner straining towards a goal. He says this, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal. Now, why does Paul use this race language to talk to this church in Philippi? Why is he using this sports language? Well, it's because these people, these Greeks, were sports obsessed. They were from a sports obsessed culture. Now, in Greece, there was all Greek games that were held every four years. And these were in different cities all around Greece. Now, the most famous games that we know of were held in Olympus, right? And they had all kinds of different competitions. Boxing, wrestling, running in a full suit of armor. They had some pretty cool stuff. Um, But the best and biggest event was called the Stade It's what we get the word stadium from today. And it was a 200-meter straightaway sprint. This was the biggest race in Greece. Now get this. Uh, This will show you how sports-obsessed these people were. We have records of who won the state. All the way from 786 B.C. to 300 A.D., You're talking a thousand years of records of people's names and cities from where they're from. These people were sports obsessed. And not only that, uh, we see people winning these races 
from all over the world. From modern-day Western Turkey, from Ephesus, there's winners from Algeria, there's winners from Alexandria, Egypt. Uh, Welcome to the world of worldwide sports, right? These people were sports-obsessed. So it's a good thing that we don't really care about sports, right? This probably won't make any sense to us today. So um, he uses this example of us remaining in the race. And Paul actually uses himself as an example, and he says this. He says, I want you to know that even though I'm in prison, I'm still striving toward the goal. And he is encouraging this church that's in the midst of strife to do the same, to continue to strive toward the goal. And specifically, what we're going to see in this passage this morning is that we, like Paul, have a finish line. And it's to know Christ fully in glory. In it, we leave the past in the past. And we press on and keep our eyes towards the prize. So let's take a look at this truth that we, like Paul, have a finish line. It's to know Christ fully in glory. Starting in verse 12, Paul says this. I love how he starts out. He says, not that I have already obtained this. Not that I have already obtained this. So he's saying, I haven't arrived yet. I'm not there yet. And now what is he talking about when he says attained this? He's actually referring back to a few, year, uh, few verses prior. He's referring back to verse 10. Uh, where he says what this is. He says, that I may know Christ, that I may know him. And when I first read this, I thought to myself, Paul, what are you talking about? You know Christ. You've been a Christian for 30 years. You've been a follower of Jesus and a leader in the church for decades. And it's interesting. He's like, yeah, but I want to know him more. You see, I don't fully know him yet. And my desire is to continue to strive to know him more. And in verse 10, he talks about how he wants to know him more. He says this. He says, um, that I may share in the power of his resurrection. Sounds really good to me. And may share in his sufferings. No, thank you. Becoming like him in death. Definitely no, thank you, Paul. It's interesting, Paul is looking back on the journey of Jesus' life, and he's looking at all the things Jesus did. He looks back to Jesus suffering on the cross, and then he looks to Jesus' glorification in heaven. And Paul looks at both of these things, the suffering on the cross and the glorification in heaven, and he says, I want both. I want it all. You see, I want to know Christ so much that I want to share in his pain and his suffering. And I also want to share in his glory. It's pretty incredible. Uh, He says, I want to suffer because of my Jesus connection. And I want to be glorified because of my Jesus connection. Now, remember, Paul is not writing this letter from a Christian retreat center. He's currently chained to a Roman guard in prison in Rome, awaiting trial where he may or may not die. And he says, I want to suffer like Jesus. I want to suffer. So what do you want, Paul? I want to know Christ. I want to know him more. 
I want to know him fully. I just want to know him. Whenever I read this, I used to think that knowing Christ meant, oh, when we make that decision to follow him, that's when we know Christ. But what I've come to recognize is that in a theme of Scripture, uh, that decision to follow him is the very beginning of knowing Christ. It begins there. It doesn't end there. And Paul, saying this, he says, I want to continue to know Christ better. And uh, he says, "In, in order to do that, well, I need to leave the past in the past. So let's take a look at that in the passage. In verse 13, he continues, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. In other words, I haven't made it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Now, I think this statement of forgetting what lies behind is incredibly important in the Christian life. And I think this includes forgetting our past sins and failures, but also forgetting our past successes. Many of us, when we think about our life before Jesus, we become immobilized, even paralyzed in shame and guilt because of what we have done. And we spend so much time thinking about our past mistakes and our past sins that it limits us from ever moving forward. Friends, the finish line is in front of us. It's not behind us. It's not behind us. Now, I do think that it's important to look back at the past for a few different reasons. Sometimes we need to look back at the past because we need healing from something in the past. And we can't move forward until we receive healing from something that happened to us or something that we did. Sometimes we need to visit the past to apologize to God for a season of our lives in which we lived that was not honoring to him. Sometimes we need to look back on the past because we need to apologize to others. We need to make amends with those whom we have hurt, those whom we have affected by our sin. But I think it's important that we only visit the past in so much as it aids us in moving toward the future. You see, you can visit the past, but don't camp out there. Don't stay there. Don't live there. When I first became a Christian, I would constantly remember my life prior to Christ. I would remember all the things that I had done, and I was full of shame. And it prevented me from doing any ministry at all. And one day in seminary, I had a friend come to me, and they said, David, Jesus has forgiven you. Your old is gone, and the new life has come. You need to forgive yourself. And honestly, it was in that moment that something changed in my life, and I no longer allowed my past sin to define me. Now, not only do we get caught up looking back at our past failures, but sometimes I think we look back and we rely on our past successes. We look back 10, even 20 years ago at past ministries that we served on, at boards that we were a part of, at things that we did for Jesus, and we hold on to these things and we dwell on them. But it limits us from moving towards the future. 
Our race is before us, not in the past. Now, I think Paul, he had to forget both past sin and past success. I mean, he was a persecutor of the church. I'm sure when he remembered what he did, it caused him great pain and remorse. But he also had a vast religious resume where he had done all these things for God, which he couldn't rely on either. He had to let go of. We're called to leave the past in the past. But we're not only called to do that, we're also called to keep our eyes on the prize. I love what Paul says. He says in verse 14, I press on toward the prize. I press on toward the prize. Now, the hard part about the prize is the prize is Jesus. And we can't physically see Jesus today. Well, neither could the people in the church of Philippi. Jesus had already ascended. And Paul says, oh, hey, well, you can actually look at me. It's interesting. In verse 17, he says this. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul says, you can't see Jesus, but you can see me. And uh, as I look to the prize and I follow Christ, uh, you can follow me, right? When I read that, it always seems kind of prideful to me, right? A little bit prideful. Uh, when I was in uh, college, I did an internship where I would have to, we would have to run every morning. So we woke up at 5 a.m., and by 5.30, we had to be out on the track. And uh, we were training on a two-mile course. There was about 30 of us in this internship. And so when we first arrived, they tested us in our two-mile. I ran two miles in 14 minutes and 50 seconds. I was slow, the slowest of almost everyone on the track. There was another guy there who could run two miles in about 11 minutes. And he drove me nuts because he was pretty proud of it. Um, he would just fly around the track. He'd be done minutes before me. And uh, I remember that uh, my goal was to beat this guy, right? I wanted to beat this guy. So uh, I figured if you can't beat him, join him. So I asked him to pace me. I asked him to start running with me. And about three weeks later was the first time I had him pace me on this two-mile run. So this guy, he runs out 10 steps ahead of me, and he says, keep this distance. And then he takes off. My first time being paced by him, I ran a 13-minute two-mile. I almost shaved two minutes off my run. And it's because I had a pace setter, someone that I could see before me. That was my goal. And Paul is saying, I'm a pace setter. So my question for you this morning is, who is your pace setter in your Christian life? Who can you look to that you say, wow, I want to be like that person. I want to be a follower of Christ like them. Now, this person won't be perfect, right? They won't be a superstar most likely, but they will be faithful and humble, and they will be following Jesus closely. Do you have a person in your life uh, that you can look to? Now, they'll be flawed, they'll make mistakes, but what I'm not talking about is perfection. I'm talking about direction. They are moving toward Jesus, toward the goal. Now, um, this could be any type of person. 
This could be a young man in his 20s who uh, has been just become a Christian and he's throwing himself into every service opportunity possible because he wants to serve the Jesus community. It could be an older woman in her 80s who has lost her husband and she's full of grief, yet in her grief, she presses in and she prays. She becomes a prayer warrior and she intercedes on the behalf of many. These individuals uh, can come in any shape and size and age, but there's a common denominator in them, that they are moving toward Jesus and they are following him not to earn his favor, but because they have already earned it, they know it's already done. Who is that individual in your life? Paul even says in another passage, he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So my question is, who are you following? Who are you following? The other day I was with a group of people and one of them said, I follow you. And I was kind of confused. I'm like, what do you mean you follow me? And they said, no, I follow you on Instagram, right? I follow you on Instagram. Like, oh, okay, I got you. I got you. It's funny, today uh, we not only have followers right in front of us, uh, but there's people constantly following others uh, on social media, right? And this is a message that I'm really trying to drive home with the congregation in Stanford, right? Because everyone in my generation is following someone online. Everybody is. And so my question would be, who are you following? Who are you following on social media? Is it someone that's selfish and self-absorbed, who's looking for their next big adventure, who uh, has nothing to do with Christ? Or is it someone who's humble, that wants to be like Jesus, that's setting that pace for you? You see, we tend to be like the ones that we follow. It's funny, on uh, Instagram, you can see what your followers actually like, And every once in a while, I just want to look and see what all the people that I have on my page, what they like. And it's funny, there'll be a guy who really works out a lot. And every picture that he likes is of someone working out, right? Because that's his goal. That's his pace. Another guy with a nice car, every picture that he likes is a nice car, right? That's his goal. That's his pace. And it's really interesting because you can see what our goals are and what our pacer is. And most of it's completely empty and meaningless. Friends, we're called to a different pace and a different pace setter. So who is setting that pace for you? Who are you following? Many of us are following role models we probably shouldn't follow. So my, uh, I want to ask you, really, ask yourself, who am I following? Am I following someone who's following Christ or not? Or not? And uh, I know this seems pretty countercultural today, but I think that this message was just as countercultural 2,000 years ago in Philippi. It's very interesting. About 15 years after this letter is written, Paul is back in prison again. And he writes his last two letters, my favorite of Paul's letters, First and Second Timothy. And he realizes that this time he's not going to get out. He knows that he's going to die. And at the end of 2 Timothy, he comes to the end of his life and he looks back on everything he's done. And he says this, he says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. All I know is that when I come to the end of my life, 
I want to be able to say the same things as Paul, that I ran the race well. And someday, when I die, and I will die someday, and I come before the Father in heaven, all I desire to hear is, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I believe if we remember that our goal is to know Christ fully in glory, in that we forget the past and we keep our eyes on the prize, if we remember that, that we will come before the Father one day and we will hear those words. Thanks be to God.